and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam, your host. This is episode three of the history of Irish tennis. If you have not yet heard the first two episodes, I would suggest that you do so. Tom Higgins in those two episodes discusses the beginnings of tennis in Ireland and also the golden era of Irish tennis. In this episode, you're going to get a really great insight into the the culture, the environment of Irish tennis through the years. And Tom's going to be discussing some some families that have had a huge amount of success and influence on Irish tennis, and also some individuals that have, have had that kind of impact. Some of the families that Tom discusses um, I was very familiar with, including the, the Miley's, the Nylands, the Sorensons. I got to learn more about their family history and other ones I hadn't heard of before. And I got to learn all about these other families that had a huge impact in, in the development of Irish tennis as well. So I really enjoyed this episode. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to take from it. Just before we get into this episode, a reminder that you can buy Tom's book, The History of Irish Tennis, and all the details can be found in the description of the podcast. Okay, let's get into this episode. And Tom begins by talking a little bit about his own family sporting history. Here we go. My own personal experience growing, growing up was that my dad was mad into sport and there was only seven boys in our house. And we got into all sorts of sports from swimming to badminton to golf to rugby to GAA and all sorts of things. And he had, which I didn't know growing up, he in turn had been, we knew about his tennis and his fishing and his golf, but we didn't know that he had played badminton and he had actually rolled when he was in college in Dublin. And he, he a few other sports of cricket. He was quite good at cricket. But all these things meant that us boys going up, we had opportunities to try different sports. And as I told you in a previous podcast, down the road from us was a tennis club. We all played tennis. So that was sort of like the most common of the lot. Now, last week in the Irish Times, I spotted an interesting little piece there where Ronnie Delaney, the Irish Olympian gold medalist from Melbourne 1956, was getting his vaccination. Yeah. As it turned out, on the 6th of March, which had just gone by, he actually turned 86. But in the little article in the Times, and I thought this, I think this is very appropriate, in the article of the Times, he said, at a vaccination centre, he met a woman he hadn't seen for 70 years when they were playing junior tennis. And I thought to myself, I'll have to, I'll have to mention that. But a lot of people don't know was that Ronnie Delaney was into tennis before he was into athletics. His family were originally from Wicklow and they moved to Dublin. And his older brother was a very good athlete and they, he won prizes all over the place. And they'd go to school, they had to get a bus and they get home again. And But he didn't realise when he was growing up, he'd be racing Paddy, uh, his, his brother, home to, to, to get the best of the dinner. And the brother obviously was winning at the time. But then Ronnie Delaney himself actually ended up playing cricket and he ended up playing hockey, lawn bowls. And his bedroom window was literally overlooking a tennis court at Claremont Lawn Tennis Club in Dublin. Okay. So tennis was his big thing. And then a teacher at school, and this is where the influences sometimes come in. Sometimes it's families, sometimes it's friends, and sometimes it's teachers. A teacher has said, why don't you go along to the sports that are being held, the schoolboy sports. He actually ended up as a youngster 
having a, having a go at sport. And he discovered he was actually quite good at running. And tennis was his big thing, uh, don't forget. But then in 1952, the Leinster Colleges came first place in the half mile, 880 yards. A week later, the All-Ireland, he bettered his time by eight seconds, which is a lot. And he won the All-Ireland. He ended up winning a big race at Shelburne Stadium, the half mile and a national record. But then in 1956, as you know, he broke the Olympic record and won the gold medal. Now we're getting away from tennis. But tennis, he was still, I wasn't able to check with him recently, but he was still playing tennis into his 60s, I know. But that's an example of someone that got into athletics, from, even though tennis was their big thing. And he obviously enjoyed his tennis. He, was, he never won any major championships. But the important thing is that he enjoyed his tennis. The same with an awful lot of other families. Now, if we go back a lot further than, further than that, the good family were into badminton. And when the first Irish international was being held in 1903, Ireland against England, Douglas, Thomas Douglas Good, uh, Dubliner as well, he actually was on that international team. And three of his children ended up being international badminton players. But what I didn't know at the time, I knew about his badminton, uh, the badminton family, was when he was a student at Trinity College, he actually won the Trinity College doubles and singles championships in 1894 he was obviously a good all-rounder and his tennis was forgotten about when it came to international badminton but that later on he played on the irish team and he won the men's open doubles championship in tennis twice okay. that, that that's um, that's the good family now we can go on for that there's there's a family called the miley family of recently in recent times a lad called david miley has been doing very well for the last number of years. For 20 plus years, he was working for the International Lawn Tennis Federation in London. Yeah. He wrote piles of books on tennis coaching. And I discovered and research that the Miley's were some sort of a dynasty in terms of tennis. His grandfather and his grandfather's brother were both exceptional tennis players and they won the Irish Open doubles championship in 1920 and they played at Wimbledon that's his grandfather and his grandfather's brother his grandfather's brother Val Miley in 1913 this is an interesting one they went to Clangos College Clangos Wood College is a, a key school in terms of Irish tennis because from the early days they had at least 12 tennis courts they produced Irish a lot of the Irish players had their Beginnings at, at Clongos Wood College, but by the in the 1920s there's something like 23 tennis courts, way more than any club or any school in the country. Now, in 1913, Val Wiley wrote a, a very good article on the promotion of tennis for schools because he saw the importance of it and and, and the value of tennis as a sport and, and as a social mechanism for people meeting people and, and general development. So that was Val Miley. The son called Dan O'Connell Miley, a, a good tennis player. His brother's name was Jack Miley, and he ended up as a non-playing Davis Cup captain and president of Fitzwilliam Lawn Tennis Club. Uh, this is Jack Miley. His wife was Una, Una Minch originally, and they got to the final, the husband and wife combination, in the 1923 Irish Mixed Championship final. Okay. The son was John Miley, who was involved in the Grove Tennis Club, as it was called in Malahide, he wasn't a high-class 
tennis player because he didn't play an awful lot early on, but he had three daughters and a son, all did very really well. Dor- Dorothy, she was club champion. Veronica, in, in Johnny Book, sorry, the three daughters all played in Johnny Book. Yeah. Veronica, and then Alice, it was the son, David, and then the grandson, David, who was the current person involved in international tennis. So there's a big, big dynasty of, of tennis going on in that particular family. You mentioned the Miley's. Um, I've, I've actually spoken to Dave on the podcast before and I know a bit about all his his work in the ITF and he's working in Kazakhstan. Oh, right. okay. It's fascinating to hear about the, yeah. the family history he has as well. Yeah. Uh, the Meldon family are interesting insofar as Louis Meldon was Irish singles champion in 1924. And he won the Irish doubles with four different partners in the in the 1920s, which is which is good. And he he played in five Davis Cup ties, and he won his singles and his doubles when he played against Spain in the 1926 Davis Cup. His brother George, his two uncles, and his four cousins all played cricket for Ireland. And George had six caps in 1909 and was selected for the Irish hockey team, but couldn't play. Sorry, that was Louis Melton himself. Yeah. But the Meldons had a link with Galway when the Irish Lawn Tennis Association were forming uh, provincial branches. They ended up with four representatives from each province and two of the early representatives from Connacht were actually two Meldon cousins, or sorry, brothers, John Meldon from Galway Lawn Tennis Club and Joseph Meldon from Athenry. So there's a sort of a, a, big, a big link there with the Meldons and Louis himself ended up playing in uh, Wilton Lawn Tennis Club in Dublin. Yeah. A more recent one is tied in with Cork. You may have he- heard of Sean Sorensen. And Sean Sorensen was obviously one of the top players in the 1980s, particularly. His two sons, Luke and Kevin, both played Davis Cup for Ireland. The father, Sean, he's from a Cork family, but he actually was born in America. He was Irish number one in the 1970s and played 21 times Davis Cup between 76 and 87, 19 singles wins, which is very good, uh, out of 34 play, uh, matches played. This total was matched by his partner, Matt Doyle. And Matt Doyle is a, a grandfather from Cork, but he actually was, grew up in America and then came over to live in Ireland and was, and they formed a very successful partnership. Yeah. The only one to exceed the total number of wins was Owen Casey. He had 21 wins between 1988 and 2002, which is a fairly good batting average, as the fellow said. Another family, Nugent family, Michael and Stephen Nugent, won many Irish titles and played Davis Cup. And their cousin, Karen, played in 27 Federation Cups between 1993 and 2005. And she won 20 matches to, to 11 losses. So she had a good series of wins. The interesting thing about Karen, when she was 17, in 1993, at the RDS, there was an exhibition tennis going on. Three international players and Karen was brought in as the new 17-year-old superstar. And she played singles against Martina Navratilova at the RDS, which, which I was at that match. So it was actually an interesting one. On to another, another family, a man called Derek Arthurs. Derek Arthurs was Mulster. And he played in six Davis Cup matches in the 1960s. He also played rugby, squash and badminton. And at the time, he was said to have the best serve. I've come across several reports on this, 
that he had the best service action in Ireland and he actually was exceptional at serving. He married an English lady from the south of England who was a county tennis player. In other words, Angela Kidd was her name. Within a couple of years of marrying, they went off to Australia and he actually played tennis there right up to 2001 and won a gold medal for Australia at this stage in the 60 plus years category for men's doubles. This is the veterans tennis. However, the, the, the interesting piece about that particular family is father and father were good tennis players, but their son Wayne, who was born in 1971 after the move to Australia, would end up having one of the top serve, service actions in men's tennis, ad, admired by some of the top players at the time. And he played with Australia in the Davis Cup final against Spain in 2003, which they won. Okay. So the son, they won. now the interesting thing about this was in Melbourne in 2003, the son of uh, Ulster player Derek Arthurs. 91 years earlier, another Ulster man, Jim Park from Clonus, was the key player who won his Davis Cup match in Melbourne as well. And Great Britain won the Davis Cup. That's the first Irish success at the Davis Cup. So you have a 91 year gap between the son of an Irishman, real Irishman, both in Davis Cup play in Melbourne. On to Another family, this is an extensive family. These are the Goodbodies and the Hawtons. Now, we mentioned Man of Goodbody before in a previous podcast, uh, how he did well in the American Championships, getting to the final in 1894. He was one of 13 children. And descendants of his brother James ended up being very successful tennis players in Munster. But particularly of note was Margaret and Benjamin Houghton, a sister and brother combination. And they had five children, four of whom ended up being noted tennis players. One of these was Alan Houghton, a son of Ben. And in 1936, the men's doubles finals, they played together, the father and the son, against Captain Arthur Manny, a Davis Cup player, and the number one court player at the time, Ted Daly. The Houghtons won the match. Alan was only just 19, and his father was 46. So you've got a father-son combination there. Uh, obviously doing very well and both played singles and doubles at Wimbledon and so did Marjorie uh, Ben's sister. An Irishman who was in keen on tennis called Matt Murphy and his son Matt took up tennis as well so the two of them played tennis together. Later on I think during during the war don't forget tennis continued on during in America during the war and the Irish number one George Littleton Rogers. In case I don't ever mention him again, he was the number one player in the 1930s and he lived in France for a good while. He was actually ranked among the top five players in France and he won piles of tournament in the south of France when he lived there. Mother brought him to live in the south of France from Dublin originally. She thought he was a bit weak and he needed to live in a good climate. He turned out to be about six foot nine. He was huge. He was the tallest tennis player in Europe. George Littleton Rogers won stuff all over the place. Then he moved to California and became a uh, full-time professional player. I have a lovely photograph somewhere of young Matt Murphy playing with Littleton Rogers. And he was only a young, youngster at the time, but uh, Littleton Rogers predicted he'd become a Davis Cup player. Sure enough, he came back and played in the Irish Championship and ended up playing successfully. He played in Wimbledon as well, successfully played on the Irish Davis Cups in the early 1950s. 
So there's sort of a, if you like, across the Atlantic link, uh, as well as a link with tennis in the south of France. Yeah. So there's a man called Willie Brown, Irish soccer followers from years ago, would have known who Willie Brown was. Willie Brown, turned out, turns out, I didn't know this growing up, but Willie Brown and his, a different generation to me, but himself and his three brothers, or more than three, his sister as well, were all great soccer players. Now, what I didn't know about Willie Brown at the time, growing up, I, did, I, knew, I knew who Willie Brown was because back in the 1960s, he'd come down from Dublin where he lived and played in the Longford Open Week. And he was one of those big fellas. He could have played second row for rugby or he was very athletic, six foot, well-built tennis player. And he, he, usually, he usually won the Open Tennis Championships. I didn't know about his soccer, but I found out afterwards a lot more about him than that. And in 1963, he was a sports person, writer's personality of the year, and he won the Caltex Award for the top soccer player in Ireland. Now, he's an amateur soccer player, playing for Bohemians, and he actually got offers. Now, he studied accountancy, but he got offers to go over and play professional football in England. But he, he, he declined the offers. And very personable type of character, quite spoken, but not alone was he very good at tennis and soccer, but he actually joined Ellen Park and was on their class one tennis team. And then he ended up being a, a low handicap golfer as well. And he was good at a few other sports as well. So this fellow was an all rounder. I have two interesting pieces that it was two photographs that reminded me of these two players, two sets of players connected to each other. One is Peter Jackson and Cecil Pedlock, uh, both from Ulster. And I have a nice photograph of the two of them, because in um, 1952, Cecil Pedlow, who was at Queen's University, he was obviously quite young, but he was still young enough to play in the Irish Boys Championship, and he beat Peter Jackson 6-4, 7-5 in the final of the Irish Boys. Now, these two all-rounders went slightly different routes. Cecil's father, Tom Pedlow, was an Ulster player and he ended up being a top administrator and president of the ILTA in 1933. Cecil took up tennis at 14 at Lurgan Lawn Tennis Club and his great uncle happens to be James Cecil Park, one of the best all-rounders ever. That was his uncle. So it's not surprising that there's a bit of sporting genes in the family. Yes, yeah. And an aunt Mrs. Darling was an Ulster tennis champion. Now Cecil was best known not for tennis, but for rugby, because he had 30 caps of rugby in 1955. Himself and Tony O'Reilly, who's of Heinz Beans fame, were on the Lions tour to South Africa. And when they were having rest days, I have a lovely photograph of the two of them. They used to play tennis together. Tony O'Reilly was a good tennis player. So they actually, both rugby players of the highest quality, but they also were quite good at, at, at tennis. When he retired from rugby, Cecil Pedlo took up a squash and he ended up with four international caps at the starting off at the age of 38. So he actually he started late, but he, and then he won a lot of veteran titles between 1979 and even in 1991, he played for the over 55 category in world team squash in Australia for the Irish team. Now on the tennis front, Cecil played for Ulster and he was ranked in Ireland at number eight. But Peter, in the meanwhile, the lad he had beaten in the Boys' Championship in 1952, he played a good few sports, 
cricket, golf, squash. I think there's some other sports as well, table tennis. There are some of the sports they played. But Peter, his job was as a sports representative for Dunlops. He was a number one tennis player in Ireland, or number two for 11 years on the trot, starting in 1961. He was the Boris Becker of the 1960s. He used to dive across the court for balls. He was like a, a pocket rocket. And his personality was the same. He had his fast sports car. He was always flying around the place from one tournament to the other. But he was a very likable personality by all accounts. I don't think I ever came across him directly, but I heard an awful lot about him. And he, whereas Cecil concentrated on rugby, if you like, as his main thing, Peter was the, the big tennis player. And he played an awful lot of Davis Cup matches. He played junior rugby for Ulster and he was competitive cricket, golf, table tennis and squash. And he married Mar- Marjorie Jamison in 1960. And it turns out Marjorie's 14-year-old brother at the time, Lynn, he uh, eventually became president of Tennis Ireland uh, in recent years and, and also a player and a coach up in Portadown. So there's two players connected by one photograph that I came across. And another one is a photograph I have of Guy Jackson and Dennis, Des O'Brien. Two of those people you've probably never heard of. We'll go for Guy Jackson, first of all. He beat Des O'Brien in the final of the County Dublin Championships in Carrick Mines. He went and studied chemistry at Oxford, and he got a blue there for both hockey and tennis. And from 1949 to 1960, he was either ranked number one or number two player in Ireland. And one of his big wins was the Irish Open Doubles Championship, playing with fellow Dubliner Joe Hackett, another famous tennis player. In 1953, Guy Jackson became a hockey and a squash international. Fortunately, at the age of 50, in 1972, I think, he was in a flight from Heathrow to Brussels, and within four minutes of takeoff, the plane crashed, and a huge number of people were killed. He was one of those people killed, a man that had, from, all, from what the accounts have read and talked to people, the great personality got on very well with people. He, he worked for Guinness in Dublin, was an all-rounder of the top standard. Yeah. So the fellow he played in that Carrick Mines final, Des O'Brien, he also worked for Guinness, but in a slightly different way. He played rugby for Belvedere, and then he played rugby in Wasps, then Edinburgh, and then London Irish and Cardiff. So he actually played rugby in Ireland, Scotland, England, and Wales. And he had some fabulous rugby, a fabulous rugby career, and he was captain and pack leader of the 1948 Grand Slam team that Ireland won the Grand Slam in Belfast. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that that was the, on the 14th of March, 1948. And the day afterwards, he got a train down to Dublin and played hockey in a, in a, in a hockey match in Dublin. Instead of celebrating all night, he, he had his hockey commitments the following day. He played for squash and he had 14 squash caps. And in 1949, he was beaten in the final of the Irish International Squash Championships. When he was growing up, he told me this because I was in touch with him at one stage there. And he passed since, but he used to live in Kenilworth Square in Dublin. And there were an awful, a lot of tennis courts there. So he's been a lot, a lot of his early years looking out on, on tennis courts. And he became a Renaissance man, apparently. And then after retiring from Guinness, he actually took up a degree in uh, architectural history. And then he also t- took part in Gilbert and Sullivan uh, operatic production. So he was a bit of an all-rounder, this fellow. Now, Cyril Kemp is another one. But Cyril Kemp 
won the Irish Mixed Championships in 1940, 41, 47, 1950, the men's singles in 48, and the men's singles in 1941, 42, and 1950. He was virtually the Irish number one player for most of the 1940s. And, and just give it, because we could go on forever, he, by the way, one of his claims to fame is when he was 15 years of age, he was, he was actually picked for the Irish table tennis team. He was that good. Okay. He was a bit yeah. of a prodigy. But um, one of the, uh, he played squash as well. I don't know how much squash he played. No, he, he did very well in squash. But one of the interesting things I think about his career was in 1939, one of the organisers of the Irish Championships asked him, he was number five in Ireland at that time. He was just starting off. He ended up being number one for quite a long time. He was number five. And it was reckoned that he was fifth choice. An American called Alice Marble was coming over to play in the Irish Championships and then was going on to Wimbledon. By the way, I think she, she won all the Irish Championships and she won Wimbledon as well that year. She was coming over and she wanted to practice against a, a good player. And we don't know whether or not the Irish number one, two, three or four asked, but Cyril Kemp was number five played her. And she was the first of the international ladies anywhere in the world who was a servant valier. She had won the American Championships She's won a total of 18 Grand Slams, uh, including four American singles championships and then Wimbledon that year. But she played against Cyril Kent, Cervin Valley, and he, being a typical Irish tennis player at the time, Cervin Valley was fairly standard, but yeah. she actually beat him 8-6-7-5. Yeah. That was the sort of a, a one to, to remember. She won the singles and the doubles at Fitzwilliam, and in the mixed doubles, she played with this tall player I mentioned a while ago, George Littleton Rogers, in the mixed doubles. They got to the final, but they were beaten by a good pairing of a New Zealander called Murray Delaford and a lady from England called Susan Noel. They lost the mixed doubles. It was one family that I didn't mention. Now, the Hackett family, Joe, Joe Hackett was Irish champion in the 50s, president of Lodge the, the, the centenary year for Fitzwilliam in 1977. And he uh, had family, uh, all tennis players, all did very well. And his son John actually ended up, I think, on a scholarship to America. I'm not sure whether he came back to Ireland subsequently or not. No, I, I, haven't, got, I haven't to handle all the details, but I said I better mention that one because that was one family that um, they were very good tennis players. Another one, one is the, the, the Nylands. Now, back in the 1960s, a man called Ray Nyland studied medicine in Galway and he, and he was from Mayo and he was a he became a GA All-Star player, qualified, and he was dating the lady called Pat Ryan, who was studying in arts. Pat Ryan herself was an interprovincial in hockey and tennis, and her brother David, who I know was an interprovincial tennis and table tennis, and both of them currently are good golfers. Okay. But Pat and Ray got married, moved to England when he was qualified for a few years, and ended up really coaching his kids tennis from the, from the, the ground upwards. So they subsequently moved back to live in Limerick. And in that family, Ross Nyland was a rugby player and he was good at tennis. The three children, Gina Nyland, Ross Nyland, Conor Nyland, all played for Munster in the Interprovincials. Ross, his initial claim to fame was at Wimbledon, they had this every year under 10, I think it was, indoor tennis competition for juniors all over the UK and they all ended up coming together and he actually won that 
that yeah. that that junior competition for under tens at Wimbledon. But later on, he, whereas he went to rugby, later on uh, Connor and Jean in Ireland, I'm sure you've heard of both of them. They both became Irish number ones. Yeah. Davis Cup and Federation Cup players, etc., etc. But that didn't come off the grass. They're both their parents were very uh, much into into sport. And another family, if I'm back a little bit, would be the Hoolands. Well, Barnival, I suppose, is the name that most people would know. A lot of people would have heard of Harry Barnival, who was uh, played at Wimbledon and he was a ranked tennis player in Ireland. He was a doctor and he married Geraldine Hoolan from Barr, who was a doctor as well. Now, Harry's uh, and Geraldine Hoolan, they both were into tennis big time. But Geraldine came from a family in Borough where her father and her uncle were both exceptionally good tennis players. Her father, I think it was Des of the father's name, I think he was captain of the rugby team in UCD and I think the tennis team. And he actually was a good all-rounder. And Jack, in the Irish, under 15 boys, the two brothers met each other in the final in 1928 where Jack beat Des. But Des ended up being the better tennis player, and their, and his daughter, Geraldine, ended up number one ranked player in the 1970s. She, in fact, she was ranked, she had a ranking from 1959 right up to 1977, and she was ranked eight for eight of those years. She was Irish, ranked Irish number one player. So, the, the, but her interesting thing about her, Geraldine uh, Bernaville, or Geraldine Hoolan, is that she was into fitness, and because she was working, time was always a bit of a an issue with her and she ended up taking up squash at the age of 26. So not only did she end up with a stack of Irish tennis caps, but she ended up with a huge number of squash international caps. And she took up cycling as well. And I think she was interprovincial in hockey, if I'm not mistaken. She was very, very talented. Um, yeah, well, I mean, guys, it's so interesting to hear about all those those families that you go through and having you know, there's so much success within one family. Here is a question from Mark Finnegan. Who has influenced Irish tennis in the most positive way? It's a great question. And I think the answer will depend on where you live, in what, in what decade you live, and how good was Irish tennis at the time. Because in the 19... 19- 20s, for example, James Cecil Park would was the whiz kid. He would have influenced a lot of those players. The 1930s was Littleton Rogers, who was the fellow that moved to France and was ranked in France. In the 1940s, it was probably Cyril Kemp, followed by Guy Jackson and Joe Hackett. And there were ladies, by the way, as well, that, that, that were around that. Norma Stoker in the 1930s, a big tall lady, her father, Frank, was doubles Wimbledon champion and played uh, rugby for Ireland. Norma Stoker ended up winning an awful lot of Irish t- titles. Then in the 1960s, you have that man I mentioned to uh, Peter Jackson from Ulster and then Geraldine Barneville and there was, was Michael Hickey from Limerick and in fact the, the, there's, a, there's a pair, Michael Hickey remember Limerick Lawn Tennis Club and also born in Limerick was Mary O'Sullivan she became Mary Bryan. Both of those, they were exceptional tennis players, but both of them were exceptionally good at other sports as well. They played together and got to the Irish final of the Irish Mixed Championships in 1964. And they lost, lost to a very famous pair, Yaroslav Drobny and Christine Troop. Drobny 
was very famous tennis player. And then Christian Truman, Truman actually won Wimbledon at one stage. So they actually were high standard, the two of them. Mary won the Irish under-15 title in 1951 and, and the under-18 title in 1954 and the Irish close singles in 54 and 55. Her first tennis ranking was third in 1955, and then she became ranked number two. She ended up being one of the best badminton, player, badminton players in the world and won nine Irish Open titles from 1956 onwards. Michael uh, tennis ranked number six and ended up number one on at least, for at least seven years. And a story I had heard was when some kids were growing up in, in Limerick Lawn Tennis Club in the 1960s, Michael Hickey, who was a member there, came along, the groundsman shooed everybody away from the, the, the best grass court. And the, he, was, he was literally, he was a god there. He was so good at tennis. And if he turned up, court was cleared and he was given the best court to play there in, in Limerick. He took up squash. He played 21 Davis Cup matches. He took up squash and he had 18 caps. He then ended up, he played rugby. And he ended up joining Castle Troy Golf Club and ended up a scratch golfer. So he was, a, he was a fabulous all-rounder. Mary was a member of Claremont, UCD, Bechtel and Lansdowne and Carrigmine Tennis Clubs. And then she was also obviously an exceptional badminton player. Now, you're asking me about the influences. There too, if you like, there would have been influences in Limerick in the 1960s. The 1970s, 80s, you're, you're talking about the 80s, probably Matt Doyle and Sean Sorensen. And then obviously in more recent years, there's a lot of younger players coming up who are exceptionally good. To answer your question, people living in a certain era, like when I started researching different individuals, I was amazed to find out things about, like Ronnie Delaney, for example, how mm. tennis was his first game at athletics. And, and the same with an awful lot of other people. This fellow Willie Brown, he, soccer was huge. He was huge. He was, he was the best, one of the best player in Ireland. In soccer and I didn't even know this he lived down the road yeah. but so people look at how people do internationally and if someone wins something major internationally Irish players everybody knows who they are and they they try to copy them unfortunately in recent decades we have a huge number of people winning huge numbers of tournaments internationally because of the way the game has gone there's so many players that playing in different countries and then there's money and all sorts of factors mean that we only have the occasional player who will sparkle at international level. And that, that, that may change in the future, but it, it does mean that people look back. I mean, as Ronnie Delaney said, he said it in his book, he said, every four years, they dig him out to talk about the gold medal he won in 1956 in, in Melbourne. And he said he's quite happy to do so, you know, but he, he thinks, he thinks there, there, there are a lot of other uh, more recent gold medals in boxing and, and athletics and so on. Now, so I, I haven't answered your question, except depending on the age of the person you're talking to and where they live, they have different influences yes. and they will dictate what a person thinks about the sport. So if some, someone does well internationally, it's great because it means that people are now aware we now have someone standing and start copying them. And that's where we are leaving uh, episode three. I hope that you did enjoy this episode, take something from it uh, and find it interesting. A big thanks to Tom again for all the time that he is putting into these. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to the next episode. 
Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please do share it around and tune in again soon for the next episode. Until then, that's all for now and bye.